Hey, Rockheads. If you haven't already checked out Music to Code By, you really should, especially if you need to focus on anything, like programming. But it's not just good for programming. It's also great for kids doing homework. It's great for reading, great for writing, anything that requires your concentration. The results speak for themselves. I've got hundreds of satisfied customers. Go check out their comments at mtcb.pwop.com. That's mtcb.pwop.com. .NET Rocks, episode 1185, with guest Dustin Campbell. Recorded Thursday, August 20th, 2015. Yeah, it's .NET Rocks. I'm Carl Franklin. And I'm Richard Campbell. Here we are again conference season coming up we're getting overwhelmed and frazzled but we're we're in it we're in it for the long haul right buddy well this is coming out just before uh just in september so that you know a few years ago this used to be all the kids go back to school but now you've mostly got college kids i've got college kids like it's all a different dynamic now different yeah yeah so uh you know when you when you this frazzled the last thing you need to worry about is the trash Uh uh-oh so roll the funky music and I'll tell you what I mean. Awesome. All right, dude, what do you got? So this is another one of the uh, devices that was featured on the Twitter feed at Internet of Shit, <laughs> <laughs> which is all about mocking crazy devices and their apps, you know, and uh, things that we really didn't know we needed because we don't. Nice. <laughs> so this is brunosmartcan.com. Go to Bruno Smartcan, B-R-U-N-O Smartcan, not cam, can with an N, Nancy. The world's first smart garbage can. Huh? Smart garbage can because, you know, they, they say, stop bending over. Well, you know what? I have a dustbin with a stick on it. Nice. And it works great. And I solved that problem in the analog world a long time ago. Easy one-button reorders of bags for this app. Oh, okay. Well, okay. Do I really need one button? You know, some I like. I'm a kind of person that loves going to the grocery store. I love shopping for food, and while I'm there, you know, I get my garbage bags and stuff. It's just not that big a problem. Time the real to take question out is, the when trash. it says trash out, is it actually checking the can to see is it empty or not? Yeah. Well, when it's time to take out the trash, that's a good question. Does it check to see like how heavy it is or how much stuff is in there? Or is it just a timer? Because you know what? We have this wonderful thing called um, a calendar on my smartphone. And, and we've got a recurring thing that we take out the trash every Wednesday, bring it up to the curb, that kind of thing. Right. And the fact and- that you can just say yes, whether you've taken it out or not... It's just more work and more things to keep track of. So I, I have the, this very, um, interesting technique that I use to know when to take out the trash. I look at it. It's full. All right. The only thing that's really cool about this, I got to say, is the integrated vacuum inlet. So there's a vacuum in the bottom. So if you can manage to get a bunch of dust bunnies close enough to the trash can, you can just sweep them up in there. But, you know, if you've got a house like mine, 
most of the dirt isn't near the trash can. Well, you're going to have to sweep it to it. I have one so, of those from my vacuum cleaner system that, you know, you, so you don't have to pick up a dustbin. So. Right. And would you, what's more, what's easier, sweeping everything in a pile across the floor to the vacuum cleaner or just using a freaking dustbin? Yeah. Or, you know, I, it's got a filter. Yeah. 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 So there you go. Here's okay. my, it's, uh, you know, I'm it's not, one of those. I'm not, I'm not so sure. I want one of those. Yeah, I don't need one. I, I'm just saying there's so many of these things that do we really need them? As, or is it just like because it's bragging rights about technology? It's more or gadgety stuff. Gadgety, gadgety I'm with stuff. You. Yeah. There you go. Love Who's it. talking to us, Richard? I grabbed a comment off a of show 1035, the one we did with Ms. Kathleen Dollar when we talked about Roslyn. Yeah. And this comment comes from Don Remy. It's about a year ago that we did this. Uh, and he says, uh, this was a good show. However, I find it very strange that you all thought the notion of a software engineer not understanding parse trees or compiler stuff as normal, or as you guys put it, systems level com sci graduates. Hmm. Kathleen says syntax rewriters are not something that .NET developers are familiar with. Why not? There seems to be a level of dumbing down of .NET developers or the idea that .NET developers don't do anything complex. My degree is in information systems, but I spent 12 years as a software engineer at Microsoft. Mm -hmm. I was expected to know how parse trees work, how to construct lists, uh, understanding of basic big O performance, and I wasn't even working on compilers. I worked on SharePoint and InfoPath. Hmm. And Carl says, most people who listen to this show want to build software. They don't want to look under the hood. That just blows my mind. What does that mean? Build software means looking under the hood. I left Microsoft two years ago. I guess it'd be three years ago now. And those concepts are still useful for the company that doesn't build system-level software. I think you guys should do a show on the education level of software developers. I think you should find that the majority of engineers who are good will understand these comsci concepts. If they don't, I would think they don't have very productive careers. So if that's true, then what is the value of things like Visual Basic, right. Visual Studio? Well, and, and you also argue makes... understanding microcode in the CPU, you know, like there's layers of abstraction. Why here. do we have WinForms? Why did we do that? Yeah. Right. So it's, the reason is so that people didn't have to know all the stuff in order to be productive. And so, you know, this is something that Microsoft is really good at. And I think if you're working at Microsoft, and I believe it or not, um, I agree with the guy. I think, I think everybody should learn as much as they possibly can about software and about how these things work. But my but the reality is, the reality is that the, the people, there's more of these dark matter developers, as Scott likes to say, Scott Hanselman, that are, you know, we used to call them morts. They check in at nine o'clock, they write software, they go home. And it's just true that it's getting more and more difficult to be that guy or that girl. I think that's really the case. And what concerns me more on Don's perspective here was the idea that there's one kind of developer that you would all have a comment. We all have to know the same things. Mm. And there's a, the, the space is only getting bigger, you know, and, and there's more and more different ways to think and work. Do you, you know, if you're, if you're doing front end design, is a parse tree important in your knowledge base? Right. You know, they, I, I'm appreciating the idea that our industry is growing and there's a large diversity of people and that parse trees represent a very specific skill set, useful for some people, not so useful for others. Right. Uh, and he, his particular set of experiences put him squarely in a space where parse trees are important, and that's cool. That's cool. But uh, I've seen plenty of productive, successful, functional developers where they just didn't know that and didn't need to. That said, the more you know, the better equipped you are to make a good decision when one is warranted. Absolutely. Yeah. 
So thanks, Don. Uh, we'll be sending the .NET Rocks mug out to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at .netrocks.com or via any of the social media sites we post on. We put every show up on Google Plus and Facebook. And if you comment there and we read it, we'll send you a mug. And let me introduce our guest, Dustin Campbell. He's been on before. He's a principal software engineer now on the Visual Studio Managed Languages team, where he works on the Visual Basic and C-Sharp editor experiences. For the past several years, he worked on the Roslyn Project, a completely rebuilt C-Sharp and VB stack. Now that Roslyn is shipped as part of Visual Studio 2015, he's finally able to come up for air. Before joining Microsoft more than seven years ago, he developed much of the low-level plumbing of the award-winning Code Rush and Refactor products at Developer Express. Prior to that, he earned a bachelor's degree in jazz guitar performance and was about to embark on a career as a guitarist until he discovered his passion for developer tools. Welcome, Dustin. Hey, guys. Or shall I say welcome back? It's been five years. I'm a little embarrassed by that. Yeah. It has been five years. Is that how We're long? better friends than that, Richard. <laughs> Not so sure about that. <laughs> how long have you been working on Roslyn? Uh, longer than that, I think. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. About six years. I like to think of it as uh, more than a tenth of my lifespan. <laughs> nice. So it's pretty a simple question for us to sit here and say, why did it take six years to build Roslyn? But the fact is, it wasn't an easy job. And and so many things depend on this layer. It's down there, isn't it? Well, there's uh, the project uh, uh, known as Roslyn was, it was more than just the compilers too, right? It was the entire stack all the way to the top. So um, we all talk about the compilers as being part of that and rebuilding the compilers. And we don't take that lightly, obviously. Um, Rebuilding the C Sharp and Visual Basic compilers and kind of putting them back underneath, you know, putting them underneath your programs to compile them uh, uh, the same way. Again, we don't take that lightly, so that takes yeah. a lot of time. But everything else on top of it, building all of the uh, the C-sharp and Visual Basic editing uh, support, you know, IntelliSense and all of those, uh, those pieces had to be, were rebuilt on top of the public APIs that are exposed as part of Roslyn. Um, plus, we did a bunch of other things, too. We've gone out and we've been um, thinking about uh, C sharp and VB scripting. Um, you know, we've, we've dabbled around in, with a, a redevelop print loop, a REPL window, um, that we're, uh, we're starting to work on a little bit more aggressively again. Um, but it, it really encompassed a whole bunch of things. But then also, it really just takes a long time to name everything. Yeah, right. Right. We just sat in design meetings and said, no, I don't like that name. Let's think of something else. We did that a lot. Now, Roslyn is a, is a town, right? In, uh, Roslyn Washington? is a town. Yeah, in eastern Washington, they've got a, a brewery there. Isn't we should go. Is that where Northern Exposure was filmed? Yes. Yes, that's yeah. right. Yeah, because I remember seeing that Roslyn Cafe painted on the side when the moose walked by. Yeah, for a long <laughs> time, for a long time, we had an internal tool uh, that we used for integration testing. So, uh, and it was... It was. It, it took less time to to load it up than it took to load up all of Visual Studio, and, and we could automate it a little bit easier. And so, uh, but the icon for that little custom application was in fact a beer glass from from the Roslyn Brewery there, with wow. the cafe on the side and everything. That is so cool. And, yeah. and the official name now is the .NET Compiler Platform, right? Sorta. I, I, the .NET Compiler Platform is the name for the product that is uh, the set of APIs. All right. right? There's uh, everything else is still called the C Sharp and Visual Basic Compiler. You know, C Sharp and Visual Basic IDE. Those already had names, but we didn't really have a name for this set of APIs and how you interact with it. Um, and that is that is called the uh, .NET Compiler Platform. But most people affectionately call it Roslyn. Yeah. On our GitHub project, it's still called Roslyn. Um, and so uh, that's 
that's never going to go away. And it's github.com slash dot net, D-O-T-N-E-T slash Roslyn. Yes. Very we cool. even went ahead and got these shortened, you know, Roslyn.io if you're interested. Oh, nice. Yeah. 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 So. Wow. Great. How much did that cost you? Never mind. Um, Don't tell me that. I think almost nothing. <laughs> oh, that's good. <laughs> it's good that people aren't like, you know, domain squatting so much anymore. Exactly. Because we got Google now and Bing and we don't need this stuff, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Do we really refer to it as Roslyn anymore? Isn't it just C sharp? Um, we do refer to it as Roslyn because the uh, um, the because just we worked on it for too long. You know, it's always <laughs> it's always hard to get rid of a code name and kind of get it out of your vocabulary. But we've worked on this for so long, and you know, now that we've gotten to one O at uh, um, with shipping it with Visual Studio twenty fifteen. Um, people still call it Roslyn. Everybody we've talked to has called it, you know, just calls it Roslyn. And so it's really hard to get it out of the vocabulary. So well, I've, I've, I've just given is, up and decided I'm embracing it, you know. And we what Roslyn is, is now the APIs, right? I mean, it, don't think of the whole thing as Roslyn. It's the, it's the API, it's the compiler platform, you say. Yeah, it's, that's, uh, um, that's one way of thinking at it. But then again, you know, our GitHub repo, which includes everything, including okay. all of the IDE as well, is also called Roslyn. So right. it's, it's this whole thing. I, it's never going to go away. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Thank Yeah. <laughs> I'd like it to, but it's, it's, yeah, too late. Windows, Linux, Mac. Right. Yeah. Right. It's out there. Dynamic compiler platform doesn't roll off the tongue as easily. Right. So. Right. So, yeah. so if I'm a C sharp developer, if I'm one of these dark matter developers, as we like to say that we refer to in the, uh, in the, in the comment, what do I care about this? Does this change my life really dramatically? Or does it, uh, does it make any of the syntax change? Does it make the way I program change? Or if I don't want to take advantage of some of these features in the API, do I really care? Uh, you, you, you care, but you might not know you care. Um, the way I like to think about, um, you know, kind of why we even did this thing, why we invested it all, um, was for three, three reasons or for three sets of people. Um, first there's for us, right? We had been working on a C++ code base that, um, was aging and it was getting really difficult to add new features to evolve the languages, right? To evolve C sharp, to evolve visual basic. Um, when we wanted to go and do small features or people would ask for small things that s would seem to be small. Um, it would turn out that they weren't small. They were medium cost. Nothing was small. And so part of this was, you know, one set of people was investing in ourselves, right? Making sure that we had a clean architecture so that we could evolve the languages. Right. And so then that also will appeal to, that dark matter developer, they'll get more language features. They'll get the small little nice language features that we've always resisted adding because we had to go do something big like async instead. Right. Um, we can do those small ones. Um, another thing, uh, another set of people is, uh, is partners, right? So the folks like Kathleen Dollard and those, those people out there that want to take an API that de and deeply, that deeply understands C sharp and VB source code, you know, to do it for things like code generation or analyzing source code and building, building additional tools. There are some people like myself that get a tools itch and I just want to go and, and, and build something. But now you don't have to go build the entire front end of a compiler to go do that. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and so there's that set of people. Again, the dark matter developers might also uh, get some benefit from that, right? If they go out and build projects that build on top of Roslyn, things that are more suited to their domain, they might use it and, and get some productivity out of it. Um, and then the third set of people is just, we wanted to build richer, like editing experiences for C Sharp and Visual Basic and Visual Studio, right? Um, and outside of Visual Studio. So 
we've got, you know, in 2015, we've got a whole suite of new features. We went and re we didn't just rebuild the compilers. We rebuilt the entire language service in, mm. uh, for C Sharp and VB in Visual Studio to introduce things like, like light bulbs and improved IntelliSense and more refactoring. Whoa, 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 whoa. light bulbs. So, Light bulbs. Tell us about light bulbs. Light bulbs. Uh, so light bulbs are uh, um, they're they're a UI metaphor that uh, in the IDE a little light bulb appears when you're on some span of source code where there's something interesting you might do where we could offer a suggestion or a fix or something like that. It's a pretty well established uh, metaphor across IDEs. You see it, you know, in various IDEs like Eclipse or IntelliJ or oh, Xamarin okay. Studio. So it's it was like, oh, finally, Visual Studio got a light bulb like everybody else had. All right. So um, yeah, I was yeah, I was yeah. reading much more into it than it really is. <laughs> oh no, no, okay, yeah. <laughs> but that's that's the idea, right? So and in that sense, that's really your dark matter developers are going to benefit from Roslyn every day they write code. I mean, right. you sit in front of the IDE, looking, staring at this editor all the time. If Roslyn can make that more productive, then hey, it was valuable. Does it allow for uh, richer debugging scenarios? Uh, it, as part of Roslyn, we in, we in fact did do a bunch of of work here, um, and we were able to do more interesting things in the debugger this release because uh, uh, we had again because we had a clean architecture, we could rethink things from this from scratch. So we yeah. rebuilt the C sharp and Visual Basic uh, components for the debugger. We call them uh, the expression evaluators. Um, and we also did a bunch of work in edit and continue. And so, you know, in VS 2015, because of adding Roslyn, we can now do lambdas in uh, the debugger windows, you know, in watches or the immediate window. We can do, well, really any new, most new features uh, in the language or features that have been there for a while. Um, edit and continue now works like crazy. It works on lambda expressions and wow. all sorts of things that we were terrified of doing in the past. We convinced ourselves it's not as scary as we thought. Um, well, in yeah. this release. So, but all of that, all of that is part of kind of this project Roslyn. So as I understand, one of the fundamental things about Roslyn is that you have this API to, to make dynamic code. So you can dynamically compile things and, uh, do sort of beyond code generation, more like code compilation in, in memory, in place, in real time. Is, is that part and parcel to, uh, the, the underpinnings of what Roslyn gives you? Um, that is, kind of one of the things that we can build because of Roslyn. Um, there's a, a scripting API that we're working on um, that allows you to, you know, dynamically compile C Sharp or VB code, you know, compile it down to a delegate, use it within an application, right? So you can actually script an application with it. Um, that's something that uh, uh, we had hoped would go into 1.0 but it, it wasn't, we weren't able to get it fully baked and, and ready to go in 1.0. So that's still, that's still being worked on. Okay. Um, that's, that's something again, that's also just kind of part of Roslyn. This idea of doing things that, um, you know, smart things with source code, even if it's just compiling snippets yourself, uh, and, and using them in your own application. Um, all those kinds of things kind of fall under the, the banner of this Roslyn project. Yeah. A, a scriptable compiler. It's just yeah. a, an amazing thing to think about and ponder. And I, and I've seen some really cool sample apps that have been done with it. Kathleen obviously has done a lot of work with it, but what are some of the cooler things that you've seen done at, out in the community? Um, there have been, there's been some, some amazing things that, uh, I've seen done, uh, things like huge debugger visualizers that change how Visual Studio, uh, um, kind of works at debug time. Um, uh, there have been some, uh, 
some 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 things where you where you actually have a game on one side or you have an application on one side, and as you're scripting, it's just kind of it's moving around. And I, I just this is, some of these things have been done, you know, just experiments over the course of of years, uh, over the last few years. But uh, there's some pretty amazing things out there um, that people have tried. Uh, there are um, there are a lot of efforts going into um, what we call uh, CodeAware libraries, which is something we're shipping. We shipped as part of Visual Studio 2015. Um, that a lot of people are going and, and, and playing around with and trying out. Um, this is the idea that you can have a, a, a library that is, that carries along, um, basically tooling that helps provide guidance to help you use, you know, use the library correctly, mm-hmm. right? So, uh, you can imagine a NuGet package, um, downloading, you know, bringing in a NuGet package. That NuGet package might come along with static analysis that's, that adds er- error squiggles and errors in the error list when you use the API incorrectly or with code fixes that might tell you how to, uh, suggest ways to, to, uh, change your usage so that it's correct and those sorts of things. Um, that's something we've seen a lot of, uh, uh we're starting to see a lot of uptake on. It's pretty new, but it's something, uh, that, you know, building on Roslyn, uh, and giving some people some some API currency that they can use to, you know, think about, construct, uh, and and manipulate source code um, is is there's a lot of fascinating applications there. Uh, something I'm working on right now, which goes along with CodeAware libraries, is the idea that um, maybe you don't want to just have you know, error squiggles. Maybe you want to have more than that, more, more sorts of tooling. And so I'm working on, uh, for example, the ability to add completion list support into an API. So you could carry along, you know, along with a library, it carries, if you got, imagine a, some sort of stringly typed API where you've got some method that, imagine a method that takes a, a set of particular strings, uh, for a parameter, right? Um, you could imagine then, that library came along an extension to the completion list to include those items in the list, for example. So you don't have to remember how to type things, right? But they show up in the IntelliSense when you, when you need them. Um, that's the sort of thing I'm, uh, I'm playing with right now. You know, you can get in, you get yourself caught in funny loops thinking about some of the stuff like I'm, uh, that you could do with Rosalind. I've always been a big believer in the, you know, you know, a tool's good when you can shoot your own foot off with it. But dude, <laughs> this is a howitzer. Yeah, like you right. can put yourself in some really hairy corners. Step with this. one: point Uzi at toes. <laughs> <laughs> it's just there's so much power here about just creating code and having it modify itself. Like I don't know, this might be a key ingredient to Skynet. Maybe I, you know, I the the whole notion of manipulating code. As it's compiling or in the compiler, the metaprogramming kind of aspects of it are something that uh, uh, we we haven't uh, um, kind of sorted out. That's not something that we're we're going. To. The things I'm talking about though are more un- user initiated actions, right? Or giving people more guidance in their tooling, right? Mm-hmm. As opposed to actually changing their source code for them. Sure. Um, though you could go do those things, um, you know. Then, you know. Okay. Or, you know, the, the ultimate <laughs> idea is writing code that adapts and rewrites itself based on. You know, feedback and whatever data, big data, perhaps. Yeah, that's that's uh, that is an, that's an interesting idea as well. Yeah, interesting, terrifying, but interesting. Terrifying. That's <laughs> Skynet. That's how Skynet. You know, that's how Skynet bootstraps, right? He rewrites himself up, and then yeah, then he can't be stopped. So, John how, how's the whole open source thing working out for Roslyn? Uh, that has been an amazing journey. Uh, you know, we started. Um, back at build in 2014, when we, uh, put the compilers 
uh, and the API surface area, the .NET compiler platform up on CodePlex mm-hmm. um, back, yeah, April last year. And then in November, we had, uh, there was that, uh, the Connect event, right, where we, we put out the first Visual Studio 2015 uh, preview um, and, uh, and the core effects.net core um, was released open source on GitHub. And we were over in CodePlex going, Hey guys, where are you over <laughs> on GitHub? So, so in junior, January, we also moved to GitHub and that has been amazing. We, uh, um, the community has been, uh, been tremendous. We get a lot of great, uh, feedback. Now we don't just do, um, we don't just develop in the open and we do develop, I mean, we do development in the open there, but we also, uh, post our design notes as soon as the, the C sharp and, design meetings are actually finished before I even get them in my email box, the notes they show up on, on GitHub and people are engaged as a community talking about what the next version of C sharp should look like. And, and uh, it's very cool. We get a lot of people filing a lot of, a lot of bugs. We get a lot of people engaging with those bugs. One thing that I've recently noticed um, or experienced is that, you know, sometimes if you, 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 if as a, as a customer, you'll, you'll file a bug on Microsoft connect and, uh, and it takes, a while before you you get any traction with it. Sometimes they go right away, and sometimes they, they just seem to just seems the process of doing that just seems to take a long time. And so, what I've been doing recently is when I get a, a bug through Microsoft Connect, I um, if it's if it's appropriate, I'll refile it over on GitHub. If it's for our team and it's appropriate, I'll file it, refile it over on GitHub. Uh, give the customer you know a link to go over and check it on GitHub, and then the conversation loop with them just can, just goes it goes much faster. And then when I when the bug gets fixed. And they can see the pull request for the bug that's just got fixed, and they can comment on that. And it's been a really great interaction, um, a really powerful. Uh, I kind of uh, imagine that your experience with uh, Code Rush and ReSharper, you know, working with the language in Visual Studio and that kind of stuff, has uh, sort of primed you for this. Did, did it help? Oh yeah, I, I'm. Um, you know, when I was, uh, you, you know me, Carol. I, I. I you know, I, I was working on uh, becoming a, a starving artist at one point in my life, you yeah. know, doing guitar. You know, I... Uh, and you decided you'd like to eat. <laughs> yeah, I decided I'd like to eat, but I also got really, um, you know, I was working with uh, with Delphi, Borland Delphi at the time. Yeah. Oh, and, man. Uh, and I was a Code Rush customer then. And uh, I was kind of taking plugins that Mark Mark Miller would do and uh, and not finish he would like uh, he'd have an idea and he'd go off and work on it for a little bit and not finish it and we got we kind of developed a relationship where he would send me those and I would work on them a little bit mm-hmm. and I just got the bug for doing yeah. developer tools and uh, and so yeah so you know it was uh, a lot of fun being at Dev Express and working on code rush kind of kicking that off for Visual Studio um, and I learned a ton there and a really that really kind of um, I guess Continue to develop that passion, right, right, for for developer tooling and and uh, and yeah, bringing it over here and uh, that passion here has been uh, it's been cool. And it now really you're a software engineer it. again, but but last time we talked, you were a program manager, right? That is true. I was a program manager uh, until recently. I just switched over to software engineering. So so you like writing code? You find it's not just that. I and it's it's not really that. As a program manager, I was uh, I was afforded a lot of you know time to to go write code, especially if you're a program manager. In Visual Studio and in, de- in Dev and developer division at Microsoft, you know your customers are in large amounts coders, right? And so to be a program manager means to be developing, you know, that subject matter expertise of how customers use the product, right? And so I spent a lot of time writing a lot of code. I also wrote a lot of production code um, when I was on Project Roslyn, even as a program manager. But also one of the things about being a program manager is that you know you kind of 
you need to look around and kind of figure out here are the hills we need to go conquer next. Here are the things we need to go next. And as I was kind of going up, um, up kind of the chain of program management, um, it became a thing where I never got to actually go conquer those hills. Mm. Right. Mm. And so I switched over to uh, software engineering to, to just go conquer a particular hill, nice. um, which is making sure that we can, we can, we have the right APIs in Roslyn so that, so that we can build uh, great C sharp editing experiences outside uh, of Visual Studio, inside of Visual Studio, but also outside. So making sure that, you know, projects like OmniSharp, which delivers kind of a sort of a little server that does C sharp, uh, a C sharp language, uh, service data, the sort of data you would need to build an editor and then clients in, in various editors like Vim and, and, uh, and, uh, uh, sublime text and even visual studio code, making sure that they have the right set of APIs that they can be successful and build a really great C sharp editing experience or even they have a really great one today, but maybe, right. but even closer to visual studios itself. So that's what I decided to go off and, and, uh, and go build and work on. Awesome. Well, Hey, Richard. Yeah, buddy. You know what time it is? Uh, it must be that happy time again. Yeah, it's time. Um, uh, hang on a second. I got to take this call. Hello? <laughs> Hello? No, I told you. You have one more year before you can leave town, Joel. <laughs> Look, don't talk like that about my mother. What? Listen, Fleshman, get back to work. And if I hear you poisoning the locals again, I'm going to send someone up there to break your arm. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> oh, man. That guy never quits. It's actually time to give away a copy of Active Reports from Component 1 to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But first, design, publish, view, print, and export operational reports such as invoices, expense reports, tax and government forms, as well as strategic and analytical reports such as sales, performance, budgeting, and revenue analysis. Active Reports gives you the operation and flexibility you need to turn your data into informative, pixel-perfect reports across the enterprise. All right, buddy. Who's our winner? Today's winner is Mike Jensen. Congratulations, Mike. Golf clap for you, sir. Golf clap for Mike. Clap has come in handy today. And uh, Mike, just for being a member of the .NET Rocks fan club, just won Active Reports. That's a big pile of awesome from Component 1. And if you don't know what we're doing here, go to .netrocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the .NET Rocks fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world. In every show, we like to give away stuff from our sponsors. And every December, we give away a $5,000 technology shopping spree to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But you have to sign up to win. And we also ask our guest, Dustin Campbell, if you had $5,000 to spend on technology today, what would you buy? I had five thousand dollars to spend on technology. You know, does it have to be pure, purely technology? No. Oh, okay, but it's it, it's going it to be guitar. Flip a guitar, no, it's people. Not a, it's always a bloody guitar. <laughs> you guys blow five grand on a guitar in a second. Just say Martin. All you got to say is Martin. <laughs> <laughs> no, he'd be more like a Paul Reed Smith or something. But you probably oh, already okay. have one of those. I own both of those. <laughs> um, so, so I would I would say it would have to be a geek chic gaming table. Geek what? chic gaming table. You're familiar oh, with these? I need to know about this. Geek chic. Uh, so it's geekchichq.com or geek, geekchichq.com is kind of how it's spelled. G e e k c h i c h q.com. These guys build custom gaming tables uh, that oh. are 
amazing, oh. right? And so they, you, know, you can imagine like, I want the dining room table where the slats come out and there's, you know, a gaming surface underneath and you've oh, got all these wow. add-ons you can put on the sides for holding dice and all that sort of thing. We've been talking about one of these forever. Um, and it's always like, well, geez, when that $5,000 comes, what should I do with it? And it's never go buy a custom gaming table, it turns out, um, when I talk with my wife about it. But uh, if you guys are going to give me that, sure, I'll just Yeah, and it's ex- this is a perfect example of what you'd spend the five grand on because yep. you would never buy it yourself. It's ridiculous. Right. And yet awesome at the same time. It's yeah. amazing. It's just amazing. I totally want one of these. Might be hard to justify to the spouse, you know, but uh depends. You know, she might be a big gamer. Yeah, it's true. You never know. You yeah. It's good it's a good question. Yeah. The um we only do puzzles in my house over Christmas, like between Christmas and New Year's. Mm. But we always do really big puzzles, and it takes over the whole dining room table. Yeah. Now, imagine, Richard, if you were doing that puzzle, and you needed to eat at that table, and you uh, just put the slats back in and That's ate. right. Yeah, there you go. That is so cool. That is very neat. I love, love it. it. I love it, yeah. love it, love it. And puzzles is something we've been doing in our house for, for uh, I don't know, a few months, maybe? Yeah. And, uh, yeah, the kids just love it, because it's, it's a great way to stay in the kitchen, you know what I mean, and mm. be uh, social. And at the same time, have something to do that's not like watching TV or right. You know, not a distraction away from everyone else. Exactly, it's a community event. I like it. I'm also a big fan of um, Settlers of Catan. You know, not a new game, but the, the thing that's great about the game is every every age can play it. You know, how do you spell that, Richard? Settlers of Catan, C A T A N. Okay, and it's just. Yeah, it was one of those great games. We, 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 when the kids were a bit younger, because, you know, older now, we and we do cell phone-free vacations. Big deal. Yep. Right? Only one phone left in the car. We ended up playing a lot of board games. And Catam was the one where even, you know, the youngest kid could still win the game. Yeah. I wish I you remember guys- the name of the game, but um, my daughter brought home a game that is a card game, but it's very similar to Werewolf, which Steve Smith taught us, which oh, yeah. you can do without cards or anything but it's the same kind of idea people hide their uh hide their eyes and then a couple of people are the adversarial people yeah one person watches the whole thing and they have to negotiate to figure things out the only problem i have with those games and we had that problem when we played it with steve smith on the road trip is you let everybody know how good a liar you are yeah that's true <laughs> so if you remember when we were playing that game at steve's this place i just threw brandon under the bus or how like bad a, a liar you are too i mean yeah. it, you know the, if you're a bad liar you could be totally taken advantage of yeah. yep uh, yeah so you mentioned you mentioned Catan, richard yeah the uh um every year at at code mash for the last couple of years sorry anyways yep. they've had uh, mayfair games the makers of, of settlers have come out um, and they bring their giant sized, oversized settlers of Catan. It's like a I nine foot rug. And, uh, and, you know, the people that are there, uh, you know, John Skeets and a whole bunch of us, we just stand around and we just play Catan all the day. We just call it Catan Mash. <laughs> wow. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, the challenge. The other thing that happens when you play games like this is real, people's personalities really come out. There are people I just won't play games with. You know, they get a little too invested. It uh, it's an interesting challenge, right? It is and, just a game after all. And I also do not play trivia games ever, 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 ever. Did we ever tell that story on the show? I don't know. I, I, I think we I, ought you, to. I never play them. Well, just shall shall don't I? Even ask me. Should I, Richard, tell that story because you know, it is which, kind of personal. which version you want to tell? Well, yeah, the one when we were on the plane. Oh, that one, yeah, yeah. Do you want to tell it? 
You could tell because right. we were just new friends then. We, we were only just just. I think that was literally a flight for the first road trip, like twenty shows in. That's right. We were in Hartford, and you were up here, and we were flying down to Dev Intersection in Orlando, and we're on one of these song flights, which was uh, a Delta nice cabin. It was one of the first planes to have in-flight entertainment at that level, right? Not the not the big ones, but anyway. So they had trivia, and I said, Richard, you want to play because you trivia with everybody on the plane, right? And you play against the clock, so the first one to answer wins, right? So Richard said, "No, I don't want. I don't want to play trivia." And I said, "Why not?" And he goes, "Let me tell you a story." <laughs> <laughs> he says, "You have a neighbor, right?" That, yeah. Then this neighbor is kind very of, competitive neighbor, very competitive, and and when you guys first met or whatever, they wanted to come over for dinner, and they saw Trivia Pursuit and said, "Hey, let's play Trivia Pursuit." And you and Stacy looked at each other like, oh, God, no. You know? And Stacy's like, no, you don't really want to play Trivia He's like, why? Come on. What are you, afraid? Do you want to play Trivia Pursuit? And you're like, okay. And then what happened? I, I answered 80 consecutive questions, finished the board, and then on my first turn, said, okay, can we stop playing now? <laughs> it's just Well, you're delightful, Richard. <laughs> oh, no. It's like, don't. I don't. It's not fun for me either, right? <laughs> But the, and the other thing, and this is what happened on the song flight, is I know the answer instantaneously, or I don't know. It, it. was There's amazing. nothing in between it. So I was consistently getting the – because it's a countdown timer, so I always get a 1,000 points. You, most of the time, people are saying, you didn't even read that. And stuff about French couture. That yeah. What? How do you know that? Yeah. Because I don't – for Yeah. Yeah. It's like going on Jeopardy against like Ken Jennings or something. No, no, right. no. It was worse. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> I don't want to be better at that either. So if I halfway through the flight, people are standing up looking around going, who's the guy with the 15,000 score, right? Like, it was pretty bad. Can I stop now? <laughs> I can picture this. It's awesome. I'm sorry, Rich. I know that's, you know, you don't like to talk about it all that much, but. No, but it's, yeah. But you know, and the joke is, is people forget, and it's like, let's play Freedom of Pursuit. I really don't want to play Freedom of Pursuit. <laughs> and so now, most of the time, I just grab the deck and say, just keep asking. Yeah, right. Just keep asking questions because I'm sensitized to the whole damn deck. Right. It's too late. Right, right. Okay, so let's get back to it here. There was actually some conversation I wanted to have about C Sharp that I think you set us up beautifully for the break there. Oh, did uh, Dustin about the whole cross-platform story on C Sharp? But just this idea of C Sharp running on the Mac and running on Linux—like, mm-hmm. how real is that right now? Um, well, it's it's very real with Mono. What do you mean? Um, but uh, <laughs> no, kidding aside. I mean, um, you know, right now we are we're. You know, very, we're working really hard on making sure that this stuff can compile on Linux and Mac. I mean, we've got a lot of efforts going on right now, uh, to make sure this cross-platform kind of .NET story really gets, uh, gets to the finishing line. And so we've got, you know, teams building the libraries. We've got, you know, core CLR things happening. We've got, um, all sorts of different, um, uh, sorts of, Approaches to it, you know, we've also got things like, like DNX and ASP.NET, uh, v5. And we're, right now, I think we're getting to the place where, um, we're just about to, uh, sort of kind of step away from, from actually using, using, uh, mono to run these things and actually get to the place where we're actually running it all on, on .NET Core and Core CLR. Um, right, uh, on GitHub, you know, in our, in our CI builds, um, they, they run, we run all the tests. We, we build and run every time on, you know, Windows, Mac, and Linux. Um, and so it's, it's really getting, getting to becoming a reality. Then, and you guys worked with the mono team or something. I don't know Absolutely. if it was you guys, but 
Yeah. What was that like? Uh, well, it's, it's, it's like working with Miguel. It's, uh, it's, yeah. <laughs> uh, um, it's, it's fast and, uh, and right. it's exciting. And, uh, and sometimes I don't feel as smart as I think I am. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, but it, it's, it's like it's playing been, Trivia Pursuit with Richard. It's right. like playing Trivia Pursuit with Richard on a plane. <laughs> uh, no, it's, it's been, it's been, it's always working with those guys is, is a treat. Um, and, uh, and they've been very open to, to the things that we're doing. Um, it's been, a, it's been a good, good relationship. Yeah. That's very cool. So what is, what is the plan for Roslyn? Do you, plan to take this to other platforms do you plan to uh you know well what are you what are you working on right now um well so we want to take this to you know we are taking it to other platforms um like i mentioned earlier uh i want to take this to um you know continue taking this to to uh, other platforms that means not just visual studio that means visual making sure that visual studio code has a great experience that you can compile um and build applications of some sort whether it's asp.net 5 or you know applications that are more uh closely targeted at at linux or mac from say visual studio code or even from other editing experiences like uh like sublime and and vim um we're working on right now i know internally i mean we're working on you know, a richer API set to make things easier, um, to do common things. Uh, one thing that we're looking at, you know, I, I mentioned this code aware library thing, but mm. that's really great for third party developers. Um, but we really want to be able to, to kind of get into, the, get more into that FX cop spaces as well. Um, where somebody could go build some custom rules for their team, right? And say, well, how do I, you know, I want to make sure that, you know, my team doesn't use, th- this particular API because, you know, it, it causes problems in some, some way or, or I like to, I like our team to format our code in this way. Um, and so we're looking at various APIs to make that sort of thing easier. Mm-hmm. Um, and also some APIs to make certain things that are hard to do with Roslyn, uh, today because we didn't make everything easy. Um, and making sure that we have APIs to kind of cover those scenarios. A big one is, uh, which is, you know, again, it's for the more of the, the the language and the compiler geeks, but making sure that we have a really good uh, story for doing data flow analysis. Mm. So being able to flow different values, like you have variable x and some method over here, being able to do data flow analysis to see to say, oh, at this point in my code, I know it's going to be this value or this other value, right? Oh, okay. Being able to flow that sort of thing around, um, just in analyzing the source code. Um, we don't have a really great story for that right now in Rosin. You kind of have to go do it yourself, which is very complicated. Um, that's the sort of thing we're looking at um, for, you know, kind of the, the V-next uh, era for Roslyn. Have you guys talked to the, the PEX guys at all? Uh, a bit. Um, you know, we've talked to, talked to those guys, uh, uh, occasionally when it, when it, uh, but not in any kind of close partnership. No, no, but sort of I mean, they, they sort of have that, um, data flow idea, mm-hmm. right? Where they can sort of follow the, the value of a variable through, uh, logic paths and see, you know, I guess it's kind of rudimentary, you know, see if it could be null, see if it could be this or could be that. Well, didn't yeah. that become IntelliS IntelliTest in in 2015? There there are some rudimentary ways of doing it, but I mean, being able to do it from an API perspective, not just being able to say like tell nulls or things like that, but be able mm-hmm. to implement say FX cop rules that say that check to say uh, was this variable disposed or not? Yeah, it actually takes quite a bit of uh, um, you know analysis to do, flow analysis to do, and we don't. Right. Mm-hmm. It's really hard to do right right now with the Roslyn API. You're kind of on your own. You got the parse trees. You got the you know. Go right. ahead and have a good time. Knock yourself out. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, so, there are certain times. You know, we, we look at the various scenarios and we say, is it you know to ourselves, is this easy? 
is this hard or but but possible or is this impossible? And that's one where it's like well, it's hard, but it's possible, but it's very very hard. But it never used to be possible. I mean, this is again we get into Rosalind's opened the door to some things. Some of them yeah. are trivial, but some of them are wicked hard. Yeah, wicked hard. And 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 still, you know, technically it was possible. You just had to build the front end of a compiler. <laughs> <laughs> I've never heard a West Coast person say wicked hard before. That's really cool. that's pretty cool. That's an Eastern yeah. thing. But um, so you you're one of these people who is really uh interested in contributing now you can't just like you know take stuff down create a pull request before you can do that you have to sort of talk to the team right um somehow it, it, it depends right uh, uh it depends on the project we're, we're working with or who we're working uh but yeah i mean it's good to make sure that we know what we're doing uh, now with well, Rosalind itself fits. Of course. what you're what yeah. you're planning to do fits you know and is actually yeah. valuable Right. Um, when it comes to API, um, actually, when you submit a pull request, you're submitting it to the team, uh, first of all. So that's where we do our code reviews. Uh, we do them on the pull requests um, in the open. But also, you know, I'm I'm here on the floor with the team. We, we talk all the time. There is a, a kind of an API design process that we go through. So as as I go and make some of these new kind of public APIs, uh, it'll be going through and talking with uh, setting up meetings and making sure, you know, the the appropriate councils can come in hooded with their candles and, mm-hmm. and uh, bless things um, and give their blessing, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and that I think, I mean, it, I think it's an important part. And it's one of the things I've noticed watching Roslyn on GitHub is – like you guys are having all these conversations in the open in the first place. So in some ways, just grabbing code, you know, forking and, and pushing a pull request is disrespectful in the sense of there is very few features that haven't been discussed that you can't read up on ahead yeah. of time. Yeah. And we've taken plenty of, uh, you know, community pull requests as well, right? Um, right. And, uh, in some cases, uh, it's just a matter we've, we, 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 we one of the, the uh, um, one of the dirty secrets on my team from shipping Visual Studio 2015 is that you know in the uh, IDE in particular in C sharp and VB editors um, we've got a fair number of bugs. Shh, don't tell anybody. Uh, but the <laughs> reality is, I mean, we will be really mad. <laughs> we dogfooded this from from the from as soon as we could uh, in the on the IDE team, sure. uh, make sure that we're using the product. But we don't use it just like you know, like everybody else does. Everybody kind of uses things a little differently, hits the different corners of the IDE differently. And so we've got, we've got a fair number of bugs around there. Um, some of them really important. We need to get them fixed right now. Some of them, um, you know, it's not on our, uh, on our highest priority list, right? We've got, we've got things where like, you know, this, you know, certain things would crash the product. We need to go fix those first. Right. But, um, but one of the things we've been doing with some of those bugs is just marking them up for grabs on, on GitHub. So if somebody right. wants to, you know, take it and fix it. They see it's up for grabs. They know that, well, nobody else is looking at this. So I'm going to go take a stab at it. Yeah. Um, and that's been pretty cool too. Yeah. And it's, and it's just a really interesting way to go about it. I do remember when we talked to Mads about this ages ago that he talked about there are bugs in C sharp that some applications take dependencies on. Absolutely. So if we fix these, we break them as opposed to people have not encountered them, so it doesn't matter. Like, just making that decision, do we propagate a, a bug, essentially, yeah. in this, yeah, this new incarnation because it has a dependency? Yeah, the situation of existing bugs yeah. um, or things. We found issues where it was like, well, the compiler actually did something sensible here. The spec completely disallows it, hmm. but we need to implement it. What should we do, right? Oh, and and we have to kind of weigh those on a case-by-case basis. And in some cases, they require a spec update. 
Right. right. Sometimes the spec uh, is wrong. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and yes, you should, we should allow, uh, uh, certain things to happen. Um, and then in some cases we held a line and said, no, that, that is always wrong because right. in a compiler, you know, it's not just about compiling code differently. It's also about how you report errors and warnings, mm-hmm. right? Um, if you introduce a new, new warning, that's potentially a breaking change because if somebody has, you know, turned warnings into errors, it'll break their build suddenly when they upgrade. Right. For example, and so if you introduce a new warning or something like that, so um, it's uh, it's we have to be super careful uh, with with what we do there. It's uh, it's it, a lot of people depend on it, and the the, the horror scenario is when you have um, the compiler get updated on somebody's web server, right? And maybe mm-hmm. they don't even know it happened, and now all of a sudden, maybe their website picks a different different overload of a method and it operates differently. Um, those are the sorts of things we're, we're particularly concerned about. We made sure that, you know, with ASP.NET that we don't actually update automatically, that uh, you have to go out there and opt in to go get the new compiler um, because that sort of situation is, is, is pretty scary. Yeah, I mean, it's just an interesting, you talk about core aspects of Microsoft. It's, you know, you, uh, you should be able to upgrade to the new stuff and your old code keeps working. Yep. Like that's been true for 20 something years. It's really hard to ever break that rule. Yes, it is. <laughs> yeah. When you say we've been backward compatible for so long, it's really hard to all of a sudden say, you know what? Never mind. Yeah. We're not going to do it yeah, this time. Yeah. This time. Never mind. It's, it's hard to get there. Sometimes there's an inflection point where you can do that sort of thing. Yeah. Where things are so different, where there's a big platform change or something. But, yeah, uh, but, but not this time. This is just Visual Studio 2015. Yeah. So <laughs> it's not there. But there, I mean, you're right. There is times when, but when we, that that's happened and it has to be a long conversation about we're doing this for very good reasons yeah and it's it's pretty rare right it's like the kind of thing where it's like you know 16 bit to 32 bit that sort of thing right it's pretty rare you can do that sort of yeah stuff that we really needed to do but i thought you know there was some of this in in aspects of rosalind was like this is a rewrite of c sharp this is c sharp written in c sharp yep stuff's going to be changed and and possibly breaking changes yeah, and we've we've found some um, after shipping that we weren't aware of. Oh, really? uh, oh yeah, uh, oh, scary <laughs> things. We have found some, uh, um, but uh, you know, uh, we we found them all the way up until the end. Um, and I think, you know, I'm I I, I don't want to you know. I don't want to like kind of pat myself on the back or pat the team too hard on the back for this, but really, I really think we did as good a job as we could have. It's right. such a hard space. Yeah. Um, and it's, well, and it's a so long time. I mean, there were points in this process that are recorded in shows of creating Roslyn where I'm like, Roslyn's starting to feel like fusion power to me. It's yeah. Just a few years away. <laughs> yeah. Like it's never, yeah. you know, it is it ever time. going to actually happen? Took a long time, but it was it was worth it. So I'm looking at the list of samples on GitHub, and there's some really cool stuff here. Um, the you know stuff like the implement notify property change is is mm-hmm. sort of a low hanging fruit, an obvious thing that you could do, but you know um, just little ways that you can change your code, like async package. This is interesting to me: a set of diagnostics and code fixes that help you use the a the await async keywords correctly. Yeah. So does that look at code that's written badly and say, oh, no, you got to do it like this? It looks for certain things, you know, um, uh, yeah, that are kind of kind of the um, anti-patterns for async. Right. Uh, we had a, we actually had a, a team of, of, of interns do this a couple of summers ago, and this was their their project. And it was a uh, it was, you know, something that we knew we needed to go do because we were we were having to as a team, you know, 
folks were going out and giving talks regularly, regularly called, you know, best practices with async. And uh, it turned out that everybody needed to go to them um, because there were a lot, of, <laughs> wow. a lot of problems. You know, it was easy to shoot yourself in the foot. You were talking earlier about, you know, hey, hello, foot, foot meet Uzi. Um, that's, that's, you know, some sometimes that can be what async is. And so being able to spot patterns like, you know, making sure you name, you know, there's some that are simple, like making sure you name your method right. I think we also were looking at, uh, and I think it's in there. I, I, I don't recall, but like making sure that, um, you know, using async void is done properly or, um, uh, those, those sorts of things. Or you, you, you just called something that returned a task, but you didn't await it. Right. Make sure that right. gets squeaked. Those sorts of things. Yeah. And those are things that the compiler wouldn't necessarily be able to catch. Uh, they are certain, sometimes things that the compiler would need to catch. Sometimes they're things that they can be library specific to. Mm. Um, I've, I've been showing a sample recently, um, on a mutable, uh, on, on the immutable array type that's in the system collections immutable library. Mm. Um, it turns out that if you use that immutable array type, you code against it very differently than you do regular .NET arrays. Sure. But if I'm a .NET developer, I know how arrays work. So I'm going to approach the, I'm, I can actually code against that API. In the same way that I, that I can write arrays, except they explode when you yeah. do. So, um, <laughs> except don't. That's, that's the sort of thing you'd like the compiler to catch and say, sorry, your, your program doesn't build because the thing you just did is exactly the wrong thing right. and it won't, and it's going to explode at runtime. Um, I wrote a bunch, a couple of analyzers to just go detect those cases and put them, you know, and they, because, uh, they're written as .NET analyzers as part of Roslyn, um, they'll run inside the compiler. They're, I include them in a NuGet package. So through the power of NuGet package restore, they'll run on your build server and nobody will ever be able to, uh, to build code that has that, right? Um, but that's, that's the sort of thing you wish was in the compiler, but we wouldn't put it in the compiler because it's, it's about some specific special library sure. that's kind of in the here and now, right? Um, there are other things where, you know, in the past, we might not have put them in the compiler, but we didn't really have a convenient place to put them at the time. Um, think about all the, uh, I don't know if you guys remember, you know, C-sharp has all the CLS compliance support for, yeah, yeah. you know, you know, you put it the CLS compliant attributes and all sure. that, you know, and, and then it can produce errors in the compiler. That's something we never should have put in the compiler, right? Huh. That's this, exactly the sort of thing that should be on the outside, right? Building diagnostics for some particular library or some other p particular thing that's not about the language. And something else that can help you whether or not you're using Roslyn is the uh, code formatter. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So um, that's yeah. uh, tell us about that. Uh, the code formatter. Uh, the code formatter. Uh, are you talking about the uh, the code formatter project? Yeah, the code formatter project that I guess uh, is required if you're going to submit code to Roslyn. Yeah, you need it, to it run runs it through on this. Yeah. It's 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 something we we built for um, that was built for using Roslyn um, to format code properly for the Roslyn project and for the CoreFX project. So that's used by .NET Core as well. So if you want to check in code into the CoreFX library, this makes sure that your code is is uh, correctly formatted, that your fields have underscores and, and everything looks like consistently with what we want that project to look like. Right. Um, of course, you know me, this is the sort of thing I'd like to just pull into the IDE. Why do I have sure. to run this? I should just have it in the IDE. So yeah. that's another thing I hope to get to here soon. Awesome. Well, it looks like you have your work cut out for you, but congratulations on shipping, man. Yeah, man. Fantastic. It's, uh, it feels good. I feel grayer, but uh, <laughs> feels good. And, yeah. and here's another thing. Um, how much guitar playing did you do during this project? Just see I did a fair oh. amount of guitar playing, man. I, I got a gig next weekend. I'm playing in this 80s cover band. Oh, no that's kidding. awesome. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Is it therapy? 
it is th- it's very therapeutic. I get up yeah. there, you know, I I live a rock and roll guitar fantasy for you know an evening. Um, I've also been uh, going back over the last couple of years. I've gone back to my alma mater and played uh, played in a in a couple of jazz shows, um, oh, playing good. jazz guitar. That's been that's been therapeutic as well. That's awesome, man. Yeah. Well, you're a great player. Really, really. Well, thanks, uh, man. You too, of course. <laughs> well, yeah, I get, I get by. I mean, I, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. us guys, we, we strive to have the chops that you jazz players have. Oh, you know, thanks, if I man. could have taken four years of my life and concentrated on guitar, then I would probably be at your level. Yeah. Thanks. Oh, thank you, man. Yeah. All right, well, take care and uh, good luck. And thanks for listening, you guys out there. And we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Pwop Studios a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a transmitter band by the FCC. Yes, I'm a toy.